There are some Christians here today, and you've been on the Christian pathway for a while, but somehow sin has bitten you again. What a problem it has been, what sorrow it has brought, what uh, victory the devil has gotten in your life. What have you to do? Look again. Indeed, the reason why I had us to look at Hebrews 12, 2 today is that the very life of the Christian is a continual, perpetual looking unto Jesus. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. We're so thankful to be on the air again to bring you the message of the gospel. And boy, do we have a good one today. We're turning to Isaiah 45, 22, where the Lord said, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Many may know that this is the hymn by which C.H. Spurgeon was converted when a deacon on a snowy day was filling in for the preacher who could not get to the meeting. And he took that text and just repeated it over and over and looked down under the uh, balcony and said, Young man, look to Jesus and live. And that was the day of Mr. Spurgeon's conversion. So I trust you'll be able to turn to your Bible today to Isaiah 45:22 and join us as we look unto the Lord by faith. We have the hymn beneath the cross of Jesus, and we begin with Psalm 13 today. This is our devotional Psalm chapter 13. Now, you will see here in the Psalm chapter 13 and verse 3 that this is a prayer for mercy, and it is a cry of the heart to plead with God for his mercy. It says in verse 5, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now, we need to recognize that God has a reserve or a reservoir of mercy that shall never run dry. And the open eye of the Christian is able to see the endless supply of God's mercy. No matter how long we've lived, no matter what sins we've committed, no matter what evil we have done, when we cry with true repentance and plead mercy, God is abundant in mercy. Indeed, he's infinite in mercy. Now, in this psalm, there are a couple of questions. Is thy mercy clean gone? Is the well of salvation gone dry? Oh, by no means. Surely God would cease to be God if that was so. And with these arguments in prayer, the Christian prevails with God. You too can go to him pleading these very promises of the Lord. And surely uh, the Lord calls you to the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This prayer out of appreciation for the Lord's bountiful dealings. The difference is that he has given eyes to see and appreciate God's mercy. We are to count our many blessings and then we shall see what God hath done. And when unbelief plagues the heart, we cannot fully calculate our bounty. The eyes are dim, and we don't see what God is doing. But when we look unto the Lord, 
oh, then we can see and we can rejoice in God's goodness to us. There was a day when Jacob said, all these things are against me. But we know the history and how it panned out for all those things were working for him. Don't you be like one of the ten spies who went into the land of Israel and all they could see were the giants, but they did not focus on the goodness of the land. And maybe we are guilty of that, and maybe today we need to repent of that and say, Lord, all I have been seeing is the problem. All I have been seeing is the the, the the mountain to climb, but I haven't praised you for the strength, the grace, the fresh air, and the joy that you give along the way. And so let us do that even now. Let's unite in prayer, and we'll just give the Lord the praise. Father, we thank thee for this way of entrance into your presence by faith, by prayer, through Jesus' name. And we thank thee that the Lord Jesus is now seated at thy right hand, and that if we look unto thee, we can be saved. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this message to the hearts of every hearer today, that you will dig the ears of unbelief, and that you will give us faith to receive the word with joy and gladness, that it will be that seed that falls upon the good ground, and it will bring forth much fruit. Lord, hear our cry. Answer our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure the hymn can almost tell you the text, as we've already read it here in Isaiah 45, and the text is verse 22, where the Lord says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. The book of Isaiah is filled with contrasts. It is the most Christ-filled book 
of the Old Testament, and Isaiah has been called the most evangelical of all the prophets. And yet in this book of, of Isaiah, you have a major, major problem with idolatry. And you have these two things tugging at the hearts of men. This text, which calls sinners to look unto me, that is, the Lord Jehovah speaking, is in light of the idolatry that is pervading throughout the land and reigning in many, many hearts. Men are terrible idolaters. Ever since the Garden of Eden, men, women, have looked at the wrong things, the wrong places, and the very imaginations that they might be saved. And of course, it was a wrong look in the Garden of Eden that caused Eve to be tempted and by which she fell into sin and tempted her husband Adam. Now, there's not a nation in the world today that is not plagued with idolatry. You can go from the North Pole to the South. You can go from the most Eastern country, Japan, or you can go right across whatever direction to Siberia, South America, uh, Africa, whatever country, culture in the world, and you have this problem of idols. By the way, the word culture comes from the word worship. Cultus Lake, for example, uh, has to do with worship. And if you were to look into the history, you would find idolatry there as well among the native peoples of this country. And as I say, there's not a nation, there's not a people that are, have been free from idolatry. Now, as Christians, we would that all men would learn this gospel truth, where the Lord says, look unto me and be ye saved. There is one God, and there is none else. How unreasonable that men would even begin to think that there could be two gods. It was a monstrosity uh, that there were once two popes, even three popes, contending for the head of the church. And of course, they had to settle their differences by war and the sword. But what a monstrosity it would be to consider that there could be two gods, two that are one superior to the other, and them fighting it out. This is absolutely ridiculous. And God states so clearly here in his word that there is one God and there is none else. The Lord Jesus uh, crowned this when he said, can man serve God and mammon? Never mind uh, some competing idol of his heart. And either you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you fall prey to idolatry. Now, wherever the true knowledge of God prevails, wherever the gospel prevails, idolatry will be cast aside. When Paul the apostle went 
to take the gospel to Thessalonica, he commended them for turning from idols to the true and living God. Now, there is no man that can live independent. There is no man that can live merely unto himself. If he does not have God as his God, he will fall into superstition. And that spirit of fear drives him to bow to the very gods, small g, of course, the gods of fancy, the gods of his own imagination. Now, much of the Bible is about God or Jehovah championing idols. There is need for Elijah's in every generation. If you remember how he uh, contended with the, uh, the people of Baal, the prophets of Baal, as they called upon their God and Elijah challenged them that the God who answers by fire, he is the true God. Now, we would describe an idol as anything that has eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, or hands but cannot help. I read a story of a man called Heinrich Hein, who was uh, prematurely disabled by disease and fell utterly heartsick and weary. And in one of the art palaces in Paris, there is a famous statue called the Venus of Milo, referred to as the bewitching goddess of pleasure. And by some accident, when this statue was being transported from its prior location to the Louvre in Paris, the arms were broken off. And so they had this stitch statue of this, uh, this uh, goddess of Venus called Milo standing there with stumps for arms. Well, this man, in his weariness of mind and body, he fell down at the front of this idol. And he wept and wept and wept. And in his own words, he said, There I lay a long time and wept so passionately that a stone must have had compassion on me. The goddess looked down compassionately upon me, but she was helpless to console me. She looked as if she would say, See you not that I have no arms, and that therefore I can give you no help? And yet many insist in the worship of idols, of turning to all manner of helpers that can never help. But you know, the prophet Isaiah, he stated that the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot help. And Isaiah's all-powerful argument for the mighty help of Jehovah, of course, is that he is the creator God. And if you read this book of Isaiah in these chapters, especially chapters 40, the 40 onward, you will find this great argument that the one true God is the creator, 
who is infinite in power, and he's the one to help. But he's also our Savior. Now, would you note in the verse just prior to this text, Isaiah 42, verse 21, at the end of the verse, that there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. And so this is the Savior that you need. Uh, the whole assumption of this passage is that you cannot save yourself. You cannot be your own deliverer. You need a Savior. And here is the only one. So let's turn to this text, verse 22. You will see here the need to look to the Savior. You will see the simplicity of this look. Look unto me. You will see the scope of it, all the ends of the earth, and then the assurances that are given to those who do look. Look unto me, and be ye saved. So we see here the need to look to this Savior. All men need to be saved. And that's true of you and of me. And as I say, everywhere this is assumed in this passage. And God speaks through this writing prophet. And it is, I will draw your attention, this is God speaking. And he says, look unto me, and be ye saved. Now, the reason for idolatry is that men do know that there is a God. There is this general universal awareness that there is a God, a higher supreme power, one to whom you must bow, one to whom you must plead in your times of need. And men know that they're answerable to a higher power. And that's the reason for this general universal idolatry in all the nations and cultures of the world. And in your heart today, there is a tendency to seek one to help you in your times, especially in trouble and in despair. You cry out, but to whom are you going to cry? and ask to save you. And of course, many people are looking for a protector. And you may have seen people, they wear these little images in their cars, they dangle from their, their mirrors, and uh, these sometimes are saints that are going to protect them and keep them safe in their drive. Let me ask you, who is protecting you? Who is your protector? We walk in a world of danger, there are accidents every day, and we've only got one life, and we've only got one set of limbs. Who's going to keep you from injury, danger, and from death itself? And in the heart of man is this conviction, the need to be saved. And so you have right here this call to look. Now, it says here there is only one Savior at the end of verse 21, that, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. Now, I know that if you were to take a study on comparative religions and follow the ecumenical notions and the religious trends of today, that is highly contested. 
But the Bible is very clear. Christianity is a unique message of one God. One God, of course, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but he is one God. And there is only one Savior, one that can help you, one that can lift you out of the uh, need in the very gulf of sin. Now, that, of course, is the Lord Jesus. And I have absolutely no trouble translating this uh, Savior, this uh, Jehovah, to the Lord Jesus himself. And, of course, it is a great proof. True, Jehovah's Witnesses recognize that Jesus is God. Now, I say true Jehovah Witnesses. Where do you find them? Well, I hope you find them right here today. I hope that's us. I hope that's you and me, true Jehovah's Witnesses. We bear witness testimony to the God who is Jehovah, and the Lord Jesus is himself Jehovah Jesus. That's his very name. And we worship and seek unto him. Now, of course, we need a Savior who is omnipotent. He cannot merely be a man. And, of course, this is the problem with idols. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And they may even be a statue perfectly created, wonderfully uh, artistically designed with the full limbs uh, right there. But those hands are just hands of stone, hands of wood. They're just clay. Can they help? How foolish, how wrong, how benighted idolatry is. And when we seek a Savior, we need one who is God and who is mighty to save us. Now, neither can an angel save us. An angel is not to be worshipped. An angel is not to be prayed unto. An angel is not to be sought as one who can save, nor a devil, nor a demon, nor man. You're not to look to man to save your soul. And there is one you need, and his name is the Lord Jesus. And so you need to obey this command. Look on to me. Are you doing that? Have you turned your life to look unto the Lord? That brings me to the simplicity of this look. He says, look unto me. There's, there is simplicity in the person that you look unto. The Lord Jesus is the object of your faith. You are to look unto him. And this is true Christology, the study of the Lord Jesus. And you are to look to him. You are to know that he was born into this world as a human, born in the flesh, born to be our Savior. His name was called Jesus. You're to look at his life. You're to look at all his miracles. You're to look at his message and how he, by great grace, preached to the people the message and the power of the gospel. Then they think of the I am statements that Jesus preached about himself when he said, I am the light of the world. I am 
the bread of life. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. You go down the line, all the, the I am's of the Lord Jesus. And you're to look, you're to consider and study those. Now, there's also simplicity that Jesus is the only object. You're not to look to anyone else, anywhere else, or any other thing. And this is the error of the cults and false religions that take the name Christian. They take the name Christ or Christian, and then they look at other ways to be saved, other means to be saved. Mormons, they have their prophet Joseph Smith, and so much of their thinking comes from a man rather than from the Lord Jesus himself. The Roman Catholic Church adds tradition, merry worship, idols of all kinds. You walk into their church and you will see uh, these um, beautiful statues. You can say as far as uh, human artistry goes, they have certain beauty. And as you look to them, you can amaze that the craftsmanship that, that created this. And then on their walls are pictures and scenes of Mary, and others are venerated, the saints. And then uh, you have various images in the church. Now, I want you to look around this church today, and I want you to find an idol, an image, a photograph of a person, a picture, that will take your eyes off the Lord Jesus. Indeed, we have this very text. Behold the Lamb of God. You are to look unto, get your eyes fixed upon the Lamb of God. Now, he's called the Lamb of God because he is our Savior. He's the one who went to the cross. He suffered on that tree. He was a substitute, a sacrifice in our place. And when he suffered on that cross, he poured out his blood, and you're to look. Look to the blood of Jesus. That's the object of your salvation. Faith in his blood. That's how you're saved. And this is the very simplicity of it all. Now, in the Lord's own invitations to be saved, he always said, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where did Jesus point men to go? Come unto me. He pointed to himself. There is not one other religious leader in all of history that could do that, to point men to themselves, to be, seek people to be saved. You, be you are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music